What's up, everybody? It's LJ Doucette here. Today is Monday, May 24th, 2021. Welcome to the First Mint, a podcast where I talk about marketplace trends, big sales, and everything going on in NBA Top Shot. Today is a holiday in Canada, and I'm kind of taking the day off, taking it easy to chill. It's our long weekend here. Luckily for you guys, I recently interviewed Michael Levy, who is also known as MBL on Top Shot. He is one of the OGs. He's one of the smartest guys that you know I've ever talked to and also just genuinely just a great person to hang out with. He's a pillar of the community. He's also a part of Club Top Shot on YouTube. I did an interview with him recently about basically how to plan your long-term portfolio. And if you want to consider that a portfolio or whatever it is that your collection is going to look like in Top Shot, I wanted to know from him what he would recommend because he knows a thing or two about it. So if you're new to Top Shot, this is definitely a guy you want to check out on Twitter, MBL. Otherwise, if you know Top Shot, then you definitely know who this guy is. I want to remind everybody here that none of the content on the show constitutes trading advice in any way that the show is not affiliated with NBA Top Shot, Dapper Labs, or the NBA. I'm just a guy at his house who loves basketball and blockchain. Enjoy this interview with MBL. Ladies and gentlemen of the First Mint, this has been a long time coming. I am on with MBL. Mike, I don't know how it's already May and this is the first time you're coming on the show, but somehow we're here. Maybe maybe we're saving the best for this late into, into the Top Shot season. Maybe that's what it is. Welcome. Welcome to the First Mint. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. I think it, it must have been six months at this point when I dubbed you the uh, the voice of Top Shot. So it's, uh, it's an absolute honor to be on with you. It's great to have you on the show. We got a lot of great stuff to talk about. And I think before we get into it, we might have a lot of listeners who have, you know, maybe don't know you from the old days like I do, or maybe haven't had the chance to watch Club Top Shot. So I'd love to just kind of kick it off with a story you've probably told many times is, how did you first hear about Top Shot? And what did you do when you did? So it, it is uh, not that exciting of a story. It, it has an exciting uh, follow-up and... Uh, you know, the, the next eight months sort of changed my life in a, in a big way. Um, but the first I ever heard of Top Shot was I was browsing Twitter uh, in early September, September 8th specifically, and I came across a tweet from an individual who was an early collector but hasn't really been particularly active. And it effectively said that the NBA has been uh, selling a new type of collectible, uh, digital basketball cards. And I sent that tweet to a group chat that I have uh, with a couple of friends and said, huh, this seems pretty interesting. I think, I think it could get big. Why I, I felt confident about the concept, or at least I thought it was a plausible concept, is that um, I got into Bitcoin and Ethereum in about 2017, um, which I know is not that early in the game, but it's, it's a, a number of years ago at this point. And it was before it really hit mainstream in, in any material way. And I spent a lot of time describing to people why I felt that the fact that there is no physical backing to a, an, uh, an Ethereum or Bitcoin, um, it doesn't detract from its value at all. And I sort of had that discussion specifically comparing Bitcoin to gold um, and going through the advantages Bitcoin has over gold. And I felt like a lot of those principles could apply in the Top Shot market too. So wait, you're saying that Top Shot is gold? Is that what you're telling me? 
<laughs> no, I'm saying physical cards are gold and Top Shot is Bitcoin in that sense, in that it is a, a similar sort of concept, but a way, way, way better version in my view. Okay. And when you discovered it, um, from what I recall, you did commit quite a bit of money to it. What gave you that conviction? Yeah. So it, it was sort of a sequence of events. So when I first joined Top Shot, I had never heard or seen uh, the acronym NFT before. Um, and so I, I joined the platform. Um, and at that time, there were probably somewhere between 500 and 1000 people on the platform, uh, many of whom weren't active. They were early adopters who bought a few early packs and you know kind of weren't active on the platform. So there were probably an active group of 100 to 200 people. And I was the beneficiary of these early adopters generosity with their time and expertise uh, when it came to anything crypto nft or blockchain related by design dapper invited a lot of extremely smart capable and experienced people to be their early beta testers and you know there i was kind of arriving an absolute amateur in the space um, someone who was an nba fan someone with experience in financial markets but with no knowledge at all of blockchain and these people kind of took me in and answered any and every question I had about what's an NFT, what's Top Shot, what's the appeal here, what am I doing here? Um, and, and so that was a huge step one for me. Step two was kind of doing some independent research. I, I read about Dapper Labs. Uh, I found out about CryptoKitties. I did not know about CryptoKitties and the history there at the time. I, I read about Dapper Labs' license with the NBA. Importantly, I read about the financial backing that Dapper had from some prominent venture capital firms, Andreessen Horowitz and Union Square Ventures, and NBA players themselves. And so that was kind of a, a big step two. And then step three was my actual experience on the platform. I found that um, my own experience was representative of what I felt many others would potentially go through, which is I, I kind of fell in love with the platform. I found myself browsing the market, browsing the website, um, perusing the Discord, uh, DMing with people for, I don't know, three, four, five hours a day. And I'm someone with minimal collectible background at all. I don't really collect sports cards seriously or Pokemon cards or anything along those lines. Um, I'm not uh, an active crypto person, or, or I am now. I wasn't at the time. And so I was like, if this works for me, if I can wrap my head around this and get excited about this and spend serious time on this, I think that you know the, the average NBA fan who has some sort of understanding of blockchain and a, a digital asset would really find this exciting and attractive. So I had a great time collecting myself, and I also saw a pretty bright future ahead of us. What was the first thing you bought? <laughs> the first thing I bought was a throwdown pack. Um <laughs> And when I first joined, it, it wasn't as early as a lot of people think it was, actually. I missed the Cosmic Packs, the Hollow Packs, and the From the Top Packs. And I missed most of the early Rare Packs, the, the, you know, the early MGLE Packs. Uh, with the Strip, I missed. Denied, I missed. For the Win, I missed. And so the, the only Rare Pack that was available in the market when I joined was a Throwdown Pack. And... I was like, all right, let me experiment and see what this is. I, I remember where I was. I was in the basement of, uh, of my parents' house, and I bought uh, a pack. I think it was 22 or $24, and I pulled a Montrez Harrell throwdown, um, which at the time was worth about $12. And I was like, hmm, this is no fun. I paid $24. This looks like it's worth $12. What happened here? Um, and you know, I, I kept spending more and more time on it and started to kind of form a strategy uh, for moving forward. I do want to point out too, that when you bought that throwdown pack, cause I remember those that they were just openly available on the market. 
Oh, there yeah, was or, like like in, in the package. Of them available, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't that you joined the drop. They were just there, and that's, that's exactly that was right. a top shot of the days of old. That's that's I remember buying one myself. Um, so you got the pack. What early on, and we're going to get deeper into the kind of the idea of building a portfolio and everything. But early on, what when you started buying that pack, you I'm sure you did that to kind of test it out. From there, you know, because you have you have an investment and an asset management background. What, how did you go about trying to figure out what the more valuable assets were in Top Shot, as well as, you know, what you should do with them in terms of buy, flip, sell, whatever? Uh, the way I approach a Top Shot market um, at a very high level, and it's a little more nuanced than this, but in many cases, I come back to this concept. We have a blueprint of this market. We have a perfect case study of this market, which is the physical card market. Um, and I think that there are innovations um, that Top Shot offers that make it a little bit different from physical cards, but I think it's a great um, analogy. And in that world, it's it's very kind of all or nothing. You know, the stars, the premium sets, the very scarce assets trade for extremely high prices. They're highly sought after. They're highly respected. Um, you know, they're they're well publicized. And aside from that. Uh, most of the other assets are not that valuable. And I do think Topshot has the big advantage of being able to buy and sell in a relatively frictionless environment. Whereas if you know if, if you pull a, let's call it a Lou Williams physical card, even though he's a, he's a great player um, and there are a lot of people out there who are big fans of Lou Williams, it's probably not worth taking a trip to the post office to sell to someone for $6.00. And so, therefore, it's effectively worthless. Whereas Topshot, there's a, a, a less, a lower friction way to uh, to buy and sell moments. I want to go for superstars. I want to go for scarce and unique assets. So while when this platform grows, I hold items that I think are very, very difficult to replace. And that is something that's fun to collect. It's fun for me to chat with my friends and for them to say, "Hey, um, you know, I got really lucky. I got this moment." And then for them to say. You know, oh, that, you know, I know you have five or six of those and, you know, it's something where there's only maybe 49 of them or 100 of them or a thousand of them in the world. And that's a fun thing to have, to have many of a scarce asset. Um, And so that's kind of the approach I took early on. Um, The other thing I really, really took into consideration is I didn't know what to expect uh, from Dapper and whether or not they would do a good job of balancing supply and demand. I really wanted to focus on what I felt like were unique, scarce, and difficult to replace assets. Um, and you know, th- this I think is a good segue into my first big strategy, was to go, which was to go after Cosmics. Well, let's talk about those strategies, man, because we got a lot of people. You know, a lot of people are new to Top Shot. Every day, I feel like I'm starting to see a lot of new people come onto the platform, which is really good. We want that user growth. Um, you know, very few will be able to, to, you know, nobody's going to be able to go back in time to when we first came in and buying Throwdown Series 1 packs for, for 24 bucks. That's not going to happen. Knowing what you know now about the market, right? Like Top, uh, top Shot has been, uh, I guess, quote unquote, kind of regulating the market, right? Getting rid of the, the weeding out the rent seekers, as, as you called them famously on Twitter. Starting right now, and we can talk about rent seekers and, and pack drops and EV and all that kind of stuff in a minute, but I do want to know if you're approaching the market and you're a new person to Top Shot, you don't have much right now, what are you looking at? It's a great question and one that a lot of people are grappling with. Um, I've 
kind of taken the approach where I, I want to have relatively low risk and low volatility type assets. And so I early on you know, bought a lot of LeBron James moments and I bought a lot of other star moments, Luca, Steph, Giannis, John Morant, Zion, the two big rookies from, uh, from last season. And the way I thought of it was for LeBron James in particular, uh, the only downside his moments have is the overall platform. You know, if there's if there's market weakness or if the platform fails in one way or another, the LeBron James moments aren't going to be worth it that much. But it, there's nothing that he can do on the actual court that would hurt the value of his moments. And so I viewed that as LeBron shares the same risk as everyone else has in the form of the macro top shot risk. But he doesn't have the downside risk that almost every other player on the platform has. I think you can argue Steph Curry doesn't have that risk either. He kind of has cemented his legacy. You know, Vince Carter's retired, obviously, and a few other exceptions. You know, maybe Kevin Durant. But for the most part, almost every other player, if they twist their ankle the wrong way, if they get traded into an environment where they lose playing time, um, injury is obviously a big issue they could see a substantial change uh, in the way the market perceives them. And my view is, you know, I, I want a lower variance type approach. Um, and so I think today's version of that, of course, the same principles still apply for players. But I continue to like Series 1 over Series 2 for right now. And I say right now because Series 2 is an unknown. We don't know how many moments there are going to be in total. We don't know how many more legendary packs are coming. We don't know how many more rare packs are coming. We don't know what sort of innovations are, are coming down the down the line. Series one, the only real uncertainty is what Dapper will do with the undistributed or yet to be distributed moments. And they've given us insight into that now with the trade system, of course. And so I really, really like the idea of that being a closed box, a closed environment with very little uncertainty overall. Um, and, and so for me, I still lean to the direction of Series 1. Um, and to the extent within Series 1 you can, you can do stars, that, that I think that's the play that I would recommend. I think that there will continue to be a growing gap between the assets that are of, of premium, premium players and even third or fourth tier players. Um, and, and so that, you know, that's been my strategy from the beginning. I think if you look at any of the valuation leaderboards, You'll see that I have far, far fewer moments than anyone else who's um, in the top 10 or top 15, really. And, and that's because I've targeted the premium asset. So that's been my strategy. I, I fully recognize and acknowledge not everyone has the financial means to target Series 1 superstars. So in that case, I, I'd recommend kind of going for things that are difficult to replace. Um, you know, a, a Vince Carter Series 1. He's a retired player now. It's a it's a, a fantastic moment. Um, a KD uh, out of 7,500 Series 2 base. It's his first base moment on the on the site. He has fewer moments than most other stars. Um, I, I think things like that, you know, you, you just have to look for angles where there's something that's very difficult to replace in the future. So when Series th 3, Series 4, Series 5 come down the line, you're not staring down the barrel at something that, that dilutes or devalues your holdings. What about low serials and jersey numbers and also challenges? So uh, I'll start with challenges. Um, I think challenges are, are pretty interesting because they are, they're going to follow the market sentiment on challenges. So 
early on in in the days we were referencing before the the early series one days challenges were a pretty efficient way to uh to build up an asset base and the market wasn't great at pricing challenges and i think it's a factor of the fact there's 200 people participating in a market it's going to be inefficient but there were examples uh, you know the early hollow one challenges for example where you could kind of say all right let's forecast what the lebron james hollow will be worth let's look at the prices of the underlying assets that may go into that challenge and it's a pretty easy calculation that this is probably going to be a financially attractive challenge to do and i think those same principles carried through maybe january february and then it became such a a quote-unquote obvious move that uh, the pendulum swung too far in the other direction where too many people were doing challenges um, and people were buying up the underlying moments to very, very high values to the point where the value of the challenge reward no longer bridged the gap between uh, where the underlying moments fell to after the challenge. And so I think that what what we're seeing now is a lot of people have now soured on challenges. And I think we'll see fewer people doing challenges and maybe they'll become uh, financially attractive once more. And I think that's a natural evolution of a market. We'll reach an equilibrium and we'll have some challenges that don't work out, some that do work out. Um, and, and that's healthy and normal. And obviously people will be frustrated when it doesn't work out for them. But I don't think that means necessarily that Dapper has to step in and you know make challenges more attractive. You know, the market will react how the market reacts. Um, and then in terms of the other question you asked about low serials and kind of special serial numbers. So low serials, I think, are sort of a double-edged sword. Um, they are certainly more sought after to an extent. Um, the challenge for anyone who isn't kind of a, a diamond hands long-term holder is that a lot of buyers just go right for the lowest ask moments. You need a special sort of buyer who wants your particular moment and a low serial version of that if you want to liquidate that moment in the future. And if it's something where it's a rushed scenario where you really want to take some capital off the table, it's difficult to to sell that moment without taking a hit to what the perceived value of that moment is based on the serial. So I do think that there is a premium for it, but I would say it's it's better suited towards patient capital rather than someone who may be day trading or just trying to to flip or someone who thinks it's possible they may need to exit in a in a fast manner. And so I, I like it. It's something that I've uh, I've worked toward um, targeting different serial numbers. Um, I think it's pretty well reported that uh, I've spent some time on on last mints. Um, I have a decent number of Jersey and number one serials. Um, n- nothing like dingling the uh, the goat himself, uh, but a, a, de- a decent stable of them. And I definitely have targeted serial numbers that I like, and I'm attracted to the numbers. Uh, a little bit of numerology, as people like to call it. How many last serials do you have? As in, as in, just for those who don't know, the last serial, as in the last moment serial number of the the mint count of the edition. Uh, how many? I, how many do you have? I I, I don't know offhand. Uh, um, I'm gonna say. 40, 50, 60 in that, in that range, which is, which is a definitely a decent number. But I think why I get tagged every time there's a, a, a last mint is that I have a lot of the very, very premium ones. Um, so I, I have uh, of the 30 possible cosmic last mints, I, ha- I have 23 of those. And, and I have a number of the LeBron legendary last mints, um, and then a, a, a bunch of other uh, pretty attractive ones. And so 
I, I would say I've, I've definitely focused on the higher end of the last mint. Um, you know, if it's a a mediocre player's uh, Series 2 base moment, it's not something I'm going to chase after. Um, but I still really, really like the concept. And for me, what what attracted me to it initially, well, initially I stumbled into it by accident. Um, you know, I was pursuing Cosmics, as, as I mentioned earlier. And the Zion and the LeBron I got just happened to be the last mints. And so I kind of looked at those and I was like, oh, this could be a fun thing to do. And I, I went for as many of them as I could. And it was in the early days where you could kind of know every single person who owns each moment. And so I just kind of went down the list of who owns each 49 and messaged them and said, you know, what can I do for you? And to, to the community's credit, there were very, very few people, if any, really, who kind of said, hang on, I see what you're doing here. Let me try and squeeze you to uh, and get as much as I can out of you. Most people were, in fact, very, very generous and kind of said, yeah, if you've got like a decent cereal, I'll just swap with you or maybe throw in a different moment or a little bit of uh, cash on the side. And people were really, really reasonable about it. It's, it's a bit of a broader community now, so I don't know. Uh, I don't know if we'd recommend just trying to hit people up if you find that they have the moment you want. But it's it, it could be a strategy. If it was a different world back specific. then, a different world. It's a different world, yeah. Maybe maybe we'll get back there soon. Maybe we can have like verified, you know, trade partner or something like that as like a as like a future thing, kind of like a verified seller on eBay or something like that. Maybe we can exactly. eventually have that. How do you feel, Mike? About um, you know, a, a lot of people see or some people see new features in Top Shot like the collector score, the trade tickets that'll come soon, uh, even the rookie badges. And maybe even to some extent, the core sets, which are, you know, base and and hollow and metallic, a lot of people see those extra features, let's call them, even if core sets have been around for a long time, might see those as moving the goalposts. How do you prepare, knowing that, you know, Jacob from Dapper has famously said that we're still in the bottom of the first inning of everything that's going to happen on Top Shot. How do you prepare for the unknown? I do think a lot of it is having faith in the team and... I know there have been ups and downs, um, but I think if, if you go through my, my Discord track record, I've been a pretty vocal supporter of, of, uh, of patience and you know, preaching patience and of supporting the Dapper team here. You know, from the early, early days, they've been, I would say, adequate at communicating. They've come short on withdrawals, in my opinion, but in terms of kind of hinting as much as they can to the collector base about what's coming, I think they've done a pretty good job. I mean, if you think back to November and December, there were a lot of people who were getting impatient and antsy about what's happening next. And there were a few times when Alan or Roham or Jacob came into the Discord and kind of said, you know, essentially a wink, wink, trust us, like good things are coming, which I feel like they're doing again now. And that time around was, you know, we had a Tyler Hero um uh, social media post, we had uh, some light marketing, and we had some real uh, feature upgrades. And so I think that the team continues to do that, you know, with Jacob's comments, like we're in the bottom of the first inning. You know, a lot of times when Roham comes in, he'll answer questions, say, you know, a lot of that's coming, we have great things ahead of us. And I, I, I do think that they're signaling to us that hang in there, good things are coming, be patient, we understand you're feeling pain. We also understand that we are benefiting at your expense right now. Our account values are going down. Dapper's getting great information, a ton of revenue, great traction in the media, raising raising a ton of money at very high and attractive valuations for their uh, for their company. And I think they recognize that. And this is pure speculation. I don't have any insight into this, but I, I do think that they will 
um, acknowledge that in, in some way. And, and you know, that, that kind of brings me to the collector score. I think the collector score is Dapper signaling to us that they are striving very, very hard to, to better define who is a collector uh, in the truest sense on the platform, people who genuinely enjoy spending time on the platform, who contribute to the community, who own and hold moments, who participate in challenges, who buy and sell and interact with the platform in other ways. And I think the collector score is a an early addition of that. And there were a few exciting things in there to me. I mean, right now it's, it's very, very basic. Um, what I did like, though, is in the post where they introduced the collector score, they bolded the term that said this is experimental and this is something that is... Um, going to evolve over time, which to me suggests that it's going to be a meaningful thing for for them going forward. And and secondly, they they pulled a or I guess they delineated a category for promo moments. And right now, there's a little star next to it that says this is for the gift. And in my mind, if it was just going to be for the gift, there's no real reason for them to separate that out and to draw attention to it, which to me suggests that it's likely going forward that there will be additional promos. And I think, again, that Dapper is just striving to determine who should get these promos and how should we actually reward our, our, our best and, and most loyal collectors. But I do think it's something they're very, very conscious of. So I think a lot of these things um, are, you know, maybe appear minor, but to me, the signal from Dapper continues to be we, you know, we appreciate our collector base. We, you know, we recognize there are ups and downs, and that's disappointing and difficult. Kind of bear with us, and you know, that, that's that's a big reason why I have no desire to sell at all. I think we have an incredibly bright future here with a revolutionary product that can, you know, r- really lead the NFT space to great heights. And you know, we're, we're we're backed by a company that just raised capital, seven and a half billion dollar valuation from some of the the biggest names in, in the sports and VC world, and and so. All of that, I think, is blaringly positive. And so I think that, you know, the little innovations that you mentioned are, you know, maybe disappointing or seem like they're, you know, short-term fixes or band-aids, but I think they are are signaling for a a very bright future and not financial advice. And yes, I I have a large collection that would benefit from the market rebounding. Don't worry, man. This show starts every week with, or every every couple times a week with nothing on the show's constitutes trading advice. So don't worry. You're good. You're good there. Uh, before, I want to ask you about the EV of PAX expected value. But before we do that, I just want to touch on something you said. You haven't sold anything. What's the first thing you'd sell if you had to sell something? So so I would just cor- correct the record a little bit there. I have sold some moments. Um, not very right. many. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think in the neighborhood of 100 or so moments. And in almost right. every case, I've sold moments where I own some of a challenge, but it's a challenge that I'm not going to complete. And it, it uh, upsets me to do something extremely inefficient like that, where everyone knows that an underlying component of a challenge um, is at its highest value, at least in the short term, uh, during an active challenge. And so it, it bothered me to hold these moments, knowing that the value would come down if I wasn't doing the challenge. So in almost every case, when I sold, it was during an active challenge that I wasn't completing. And I'd also highlight, I think my, my total sales amount to, I don't know, five or $6,000 overall, which is a, a drop in the bucket next to uh, what I've invested overall. So of your uh, current stuff that you have, yeah. that you like, that you never wanted to sell the stuff that you're like, I'm going to the grave with these top shot moments. If you had to sell something, what's the first thing that would come off the lot? My answer would probably be a, a Zion 
Top Shot debut moment. And I say that because I, I want it to be someone who I feel like is being properly recognized by the market right now. Um, and I think there are very few players right now who are hotter in the sense of you know, fan appreciation and fan excitement than Zion right now. And so I think his moment prices reflect that from a relative basis, just a relative valuation where he stacks up relative to where he used to stack up, I think it is at a fairly high point. You know, he used to be neck and neck with John Morant. And now if we look at their top shot debut moments, John Morant's is, I think it's something like 50 or 60% of the price of Zion's. And Jaws actually has 30% fewer in, uh, in circulation or 35% fewer. And so I think Zion is pretty fully priced given the current market. So I'd be comfortable with that. And I've got a number of those. So I, I suppose that would be my answer. Zion's not even going to the playoffs. But yeah, like at least at least Jaws, like yeah, <laughs> so it's kind of funny. So, right? so, but but that's kind of what, you know. I, I think near now that that speaks to the you know another reason why Zion is maybe a good answer. Ja maybe has the opportunity to do well in the playoffs and, and positively impact his his moments, whereas Zion won't have that opportunity and kind of fades to the background when he's not participating in the playoffs. So I'd go with Zion. What's the last moment you'd sell? What is your prized? possession just tell us so tell us, tell us what you love so i have a somewhat unique showcase and so I, I will probably disappointingly to you pick a series or a showcase of moments no and, and, no no it needs to be a moment man you can't, I, I, you can't I, let me do that after the question i'll okay. do that after okay. Okay. i have okay. um i'm a knicks fan and i i am the very proud owner of all four um of rj barrett's Top Shot debut jersey serial numbers. So RJ Barrett has four Top Shot debuts. He has a base, an MGLE, a rookie debut, and a hollow. And I have the jerseys for all of those. And so uh, th- those would probably be the last thing I, I give up. Um, I think as a Knicks fan, it's, it's, re- it's a really fun thing to have. I think it's a somewhat unique thing from a collectible standpoint to just have every possible jersey of RJ Barrett's Top Shot debut. And I did actually... Um, Part of my plan there was his Genesis moment will be a number one. It won't be a number nine, which is his jersey number. And so there's nothing that can happen that will uh, introduce another uh, R.J. Barrett Top Shot debut jersey number. So Why R.J.? Why R.J. specifically? So um, I'm, I'm a Knicks fan. and you know, why, out of, why R.J. out of everybody on the Knicks? Sadly, you look around, there aren't too many other options. It was before... <laughs> It was before this season, so Julius Randle yeah. hadn't yet turned into an MVP candidate. I mean, there's there's not the most exciting players otherwise. I mean, you look at uh, Dennis Smith Jr. is one of the Knicks moments from Series 1 uh, when I was making these decisions. Um, you know, you have throwback Carmelo Anthony. He's a fun one. This year you've got, you know, Alec Burks is having a fun season. Emmanuel Quickly is fun. But having said that, there aren't that many players. Um, also, the market was pretty down in R.J. Barrett last year. He didn't even he didn't make either of the all rookie teams. Um, people were pretty down on him overall, and I was hopeful that he would turn it around. And so it was an opportunity to have a really really fun collection to put together a somewhat unique thing in the Top Shot environment. And yeah, so I just went for it. But to actually answer your question now, mm-hmm. please. All right, I, I will go with my LeBron James last mint cosmic. I feel like that encapsulates uh, me as a collector pretty well. It's a last mint. It's a cosmic. It's LeBron James. And yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. Okay. Okay. What? And I do want to get back on track here, but I do have one last one about of those kind of questions about your collection. Is there Are there any moments you're chasing or any moments from series one 
that you wish you could have gotten or that you had? So, yes, and this goes back to the last mint. So I, I have the uh, last mint of LeBron's finals legendary. Um, I have the last mint of the cosmic. I have the last mint of his his from the top block. But I don't have the last mint of his from the top dunk, his Kobe Bryant dunk. Um, that That's a moment that I think Glorious owns, uh, a good friend of mine from the Top Shot community. And if I were... Uh, if I had been able to get that, I would have had every LeBron James last mint legendary, aside from hollow, although that's kind of a different category in my mind because it's a challenge. And, and that would have been a fun collection too. And so that's one that I was never able to get. I'd also say that the seven remaining cosmic last mints that I don't have, um, three of which are owned by the Whale Shark Vault and I think are impossible to get. Yeah, you'll never crack that one. Yeah, then three others are owned by people that I've either been unable to find or haven't really wanted to budge. And then one of them, actually, the Damian Lillard Last Mint Cosmic, I owned for a while. And interestingly, I traded it for the R.J. Barrett jersey rookie debut. Right. Thank you for sharing. Let's get back on track. We were talking before about the new features coming the new features that have come to Top Shot, like collector score, all that kind of stuff. One of the new changes, I guess, this past week that maybe some collectors uh, weren't expecting or weren't used to is the idea that a new pack from the pack page, from a pack drop, might not contain moments that will be worth the cost of the pack on the marketplace. A new concept, one that you know we're you and I are familiar with because that's that's how things were for a while before, and but that was also when you could buy multiple packs. So you know there's a different way. There's a different way of collecting. Is it going to be like that forever? Is this the new normal? that the EV of a pack is equal to the cost of the pack on average? Or is that is that a one-off from the Throwdowns pack? Uh, so it's, it's, you know, it's hard to speculate on where Dapper is going over time. Um, I, I do think, um, at least this was my recommendation in, in the tweet thread I wrote about this, that it's important for Dapper in the short term to sort of keep the expected value of a pack somewhat near the pack price. Um, I think in an ideal world, it's slightly above the pack price, so it continues to be exciting for people. People are excited about um, what moments they can pull, and people are typically doing well on the packs. Um, but it's not attractive enough such that the, you know, the people that I termed uh, rent seekers stick around um, and, and continue to buy packs and immediately flip the moments into the marketplace. Um, you know, in answer to your question, I do think in the short term that'll be the case, um, but I do also want to just draw back to what I said earlier. I think Dapper is striving very hard and very focused on properly defining who is a collector in their eyes and who is a loyal uh, supporter of the platform. And I think if once they're able to define that in a way, uh, assuming they're able to get there, I wouldn't be surprised if they make packs very, very attractive again right now, if they're able to gear them towards you know, the proper collectors. And I say that because I, I think Dapper does want to invest in the community to and allow the community to receive these kinds of infusions. And that's effectively what it is. You pay $1,000 for a pack, you get $5,000 worth of moments. Um, either your account values up by you know, $4,000 um, relative to your investment, or you can sell the moments and buy way more moments than you would have been able to if you just bought with the $1,000. And I think that's a comfortable experience if they're able to do it in a way that doesn't introduce the rent seekers again. And so it's, I think it's a difficult thing to achieve, but if they can define a collector, we may see the return of the occasional extremely plus EV pack. Do you see, this is like this kind of theory I was floating the other day when I was on Plunge Father's show, is that 
I feel like over time, playing Top Shot, let's call it playing um, in a way, or participating in Top Shot, will turn into a series of doors or rather uh, groups or streams that you can follow. Very similar to like a, a video game RPG where some of the decisions you make early on end up defining how the game rolls out for your particular quest. And I mean that as in investing heavily in legendaries might lead you down one path of privileges in Top Shot, whereas investing in commons might lead you down a completely different one in terms of what you have access to, what you're able to do as the game develops and and grows, or even you know other streams like doing challenges, or even something like engaging in the community. What do you, if you had to speculate on how that can roll out, or if that's even a possibility? Uh, so, it's an interesting concept. Um, I think that there are some pluses and minuses of that. I think that when you start, you know, categorizing people by who owns legendaries versus who doesn't, it becomes somewhat unapproachable in a way where. You know, as a new collector, you sort of feel like if I don't spend, let's call it $25,000 um, and build up a legendary set, you know, I'm not really um, fully participating in the game and getting the full benefits of the of the platform. Um, and I don't think that's a, a comfortable feeling for anyone. And so in, in my mind, you know, the, you know, the, there, there may be some perks that come along with having, uh, you know, a certain number of moments or a certain account value. And Dapper's floated the idea of, kind of white glove uh, VIP customer service for certain accounts. And that's been successful on other platforms. But I do hope and expect uh, that Dapper will you know, continue to keep their eye on smaller collectors and ensure that everyone has a good experience and it continues to be exciting for everyone. Um, and, you know, that it's not the sort of thing where you really feel like it's pay to play. And if you don't have deep pockets um, with, with the ability to throw significant capital at um, a relatively speculative speculative asset class that you you miss out too much. Let's talk about the community for a minute. Now, you know, as we're getting close to wrapping up here, you're a pretty prominent voice in the community. You're very close to the community. Things, you know, in the last couple months, we've seen a good dose of unhappiness, anger, some negativity. Do you think that that is something that'll turn around? And and even being a, a pillar of the community. How do you feel when you see people get really upset at either the, the value of their moments or even just people griping about new changes from the dapper side? How do you how do you handle that and where do you think it's going? Look, I, I very much sympathize with people who haven't had a great experience so far. Um, in some ways, I feel guilty that the only real difference between my experience and a lot of the newer users is that I arrived a few months earlier. And for me, I'm extremely passionate about the platform. I'm excited about the future, um, but it's really, really easy for me to sit here and, and say that. You know, I've, I've seen an extreme, um, extreme buildup of, of wealth um, through the platform. Um, you know, I've been able to kind of build a brand around it, have some really exciting and interesting conversations with people I wouldn't have spoken to otherwise. Whereas there are other people who arrived in February, March, April who haven't had a great experience. And so I sympathize with. A lot of people. Um, I sympathize less with the people who I feel like are, you know, maybe taking a perspective that's, you know, overly slanted to the negative, who are basically saying, okay, I had a bad experience. I want to make sure everyone else has a bad experience. I'm going to draw attention to conspiracy theories and other things that are extremely unlikely to be the case and post about it and, 
you know, go into every Twitter thread talking about any topic on Top Shot and post about the same complaints. Um, you know, that stuff's a little more bothersome, but I sympathize with the community and I do think we have brighter days ahead of us. Um, I think that, you know, what we just had with, throw, with the throwdown packs is a huge part of the process of writing the ship and stabilizing the market. Um, again, I'll reference the, the thread I put out because I think that shared, you know, that shared a lot of the thoughts that I have on the matter. But getting rid of or, or pruning the rent seekers who put selling pressure on the marketplace, who put zero demand on the marketplace, who uh, buy packs and take the opportunity to buy packs uh, from those who you know really want the pack experience, not just want the flipping profits. Um, you know they they obviously absorb some of the pack supply. I think they're just a huge, huge negative on the platform, and a big part of the reason that the experience has been negative recently and why the platform has been struggling recently. And so I think that the throwdown packs being around expected value are. are a sign of good things to come and hopefully the people that I deem to be the wrong people that the kind of people that we don't want on the platform are exiting the platform and you know Dapper starts rolling out some of these things that they've been teasing over the last three four months and we see a real marketing push to kind of fill out the user base um, with with people who are excited and interested in the product and the people who kind of took the chance on an early stage product in February March and April are rewarded in the same way that the people who took the chance in you know, June, July, um, August, September, back then were rewarded. And I, th I think that would be a, a great outcome. And I, I'm, I'm hopeful it happens. But, you know, until it does, I, I sympathize with a lot of people out there. Who's the most interesting person you think you've met in your journey in Top Shot? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's a good question. I mean, uh, the, the easy answer, honestly, is, is Dingling. Um, you know, D Dingling is someone who I don't think anyone knows the identity of Dingling, whether it's, you know, ma male, female, group something else um, that, you know, so, some investment conglomerate. And it's just a really, really interesting story. I mean, it's someone who clearly has had immense success. It sounds like from the show you did with Dingling, it's crypto success and is, is reallocating a significant amount of it into Top Shot, which is a speculative asset. And I don't know what sort of dollars have been invested, but I think we're talking north of eight figures at this point. And it's been really incredible to watch. And at the same time, Dingling is an incredibly down-to-earth, kind, uh, friendly individual. And it's, that's a pretty interesting person. Um, but another person I want to spotlight is actually Steve Veerman. Um, so Veerman someone I met very early uh, in my Top Shot days. Someone who has fielded, I don't know, probably thousands of questions for me about blockchain, crypto slam, strategy, everything else, and, and we've got a great relationship. But what I found most interesting about Veerman, and I would say it really changed my perspectives on things, especially coming from the finance world, where it's very much dog eat dog and you know the, the climb to the top of the, the pyramid. Um, Veerman put together the intangible market tool and released it to the community. And you know, a few times I kind of said to him, I'm like, I think you could, you could raise money around this. You could charge you know, a few cents every time people want to look at their account valuations. And I think the community would love to give you a financial reward for what you've built for everyone. And his only response has ever been, I really don't care about the money. I think this is, you know, I really love the Top Shot community and the Top Shot platform. And I think this is a good thing for the community to have. So I want to give it to the community. And he could have kept it to himself and identified inefficiencies in the market and, you know, found different opportunities. And instead, as soon as it was ready, he released it to everyone you know, taught everyone how it works. And th that just blew me away. And 
was incredible and I think really sets the tone for the entire platform and the generosity that we see across the board uh, in, in Top Shot. Last question. What is the ideal future state of Top Shot? So I'm sure some would say this is aspirational, but for me, I, I think that the future of Top Shot is very plausibly a, a larger, more robust, more exciting version of physical cards. And I think that the addressable market for Top Shot is much, much larger than physical cards. We, we have a geographic advantage where you just need internet access to access the platform and a wider addressable market within the same markets that physical cards exist. So I point to myself in that situation where I, I would never go out and spend significant money on uh, a physical card. There's just too little information out there. There's, there's no transaction history. There's no listings from other people. I don't know if when I go into a card shop, um, whether I'm getting ripped off, whether it's a fake card, whether the guy down the street is selling it for half the price. I don't know anything. And that was unpalatable for me. Uh, and this market solves all of that. So I think it could easily be bigger than physical cards. In terms of what the platform's actually doing day to day, um, I, I'd love to see kind of more innovation and more exciting things that bring people back to the platform. Uh, you know, I've talked about it a few times, but right now, the only thing you can do on the platform is kind of buy and sell um, and and look at moments. There, there's very little else. I mean, I guess there are you know there are challenges and a few other little things, but practically it's art at this point. You you look at it, you buy it, you sell it, and and that's it. And you look at some of the other platforms that people have really enjoyed and and taken a liking to, like Zed Run, for example, which I have not participated in myself, but people love the idea that you can race your horse, that you can actually make money on your horse, that you can breed your horses, that there you can strategically enter into different races and things like that. And I think that Top Shot has a lot of that in the future. And that's what the team has floated. But I, I would love to see a lot of that come to life where it's it's exciting and a big part of someone's life to be a, a Top Shot collector where you spend time on it. And it's a big hobby and something that you, you know, you check in with every day and is exciting to participate with with friends beyond just buying and selling. And, you know, that comes with the game with hardcore with maybe access at NBA arenas. Uh, you know, someone mentioned, you know, can you can you burn moments to get a, a free league pass uh, uh, subscription for the year, which I think things like that are, are really interesting and fun for for NBA fans and fans of collectibles alike. So would love to see a lot of that in the future. And then uh, applications in the metaverse, too, I think will, will be great. And I think the team has their eyes on that. I would love to be able to burn moments for a league pass subscription. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Burn. I'd also like to be able to do that for. Uh, games in Canada to not be blo blacked out by um, the monopolies that run the media in Canada. So just saying, if they're listening, if anybody from Bell or Rogers is listening, please don't stop making the Raptors games blacked out on NBA League Pass Canada. Just saying that. Um, okay, Mike, last part. And if you listen to the podcast before, you know what's coming. We have a game Would called Would You Rather. Yeah, of That's course. right. And you know how it goes. You get two options and you pick which one. You tell me which one you would rather. Are you ready? I'm ready. Would you rather the last mint Kobe dunk, the one that you were talking about is your holy grail that you wish you had, or that magically Julius Randle wins the MVP this year? Uh, the, the Kobe dunk. No, no question. Should I justify my answer or just? No, just no, 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 no. I think it's you, you, you give such good in-depth answers that I think it's better if we don't know why you pick these answers. These Kobe answers. dunk. Kobe dunk. Okay. Would you rather you receive the next four RJ Barrett jersey numbers, whatever his next four moments are that aren't that aren't common moments, common you know thirty five thousand, whatever. We're talking like rares and legendaries and whatever else he has. You get the next four RJ Barrett jersey numbers, or 
the Knicks win one round of the playoffs. Barrett jerseys. Last one. Would you rather the top shot utopia that you described as the answer to the last question I asked you, or the Knicks make the finals? Not win, make. And you don't know what's going to happen when they make it. Top shot utopia. Oh, he's a man of the people, everybody. He is a man of the people, denying his entire city and the entire fan base for the people of Top Shot. I, I just it. think it's a, it's one year too soon. All this is going to happen next year anyway, <laughs> so we don't need it this year. And we can get all this beautiful Top Shot um, activity and moments uh, and uh, get the Knicks next year. No rush. There you go. There you go. I like it. I like the attitude. Mike, it's been a pleasure having you on, man. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and your enthusiasm, honestly, for the platform. I'm sure people are going to love listening to this. Thank you very much. Appreciate the time.